Hey, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. Man, I'm so excited to be here. It is the final day of our series, Quit Church. And for me, uh, I've enjoyed preaching in this sermon series so much. I think it's been incredible. But selfishly, I'm really excited for this day because this is Pastor Nate's last day of vacation, which means he's coming home. We'll have him back. I won't be confused. I won't be wondering if I should even be a pastor anymore. He will be a light that will shine me in the right direction and remind me, hey, God did call you to this. It's okay. Take a breath. Um, so I'm so excited that he's going to be back. But before we do that, we're going to wrap up this series. And I just know that I just want to encourage you, take this series and really make sure that it becomes something that you remind yourself of, you remember, save the notes. I know it's moved in my life in pretty powerful ways, and I'm hoping it does in yours. And so we've been talking a lot about a bunch of different things uh, about quitting church, and quitting church mentality would probably be the better way to do it. We did quit expecting to wake up in heaven, talking about how no church is perfect, and we shouldn't expect any church to ever be perfect. We talked about quit throwing your money away, which was about uh, financial responsibility, what God wants to do in your life with finances. We did quit expecting people to show up, and it talked about our role in this awesome thing called the church with God and how we have a responsibility to partner with God, to invite people. And today, we're going to go through quit your church friends. And what does this mean? Some of you are like, yes, this means I get to avoid lobby small talk now. Boom, I get to just come in, get to avoid everyone, sit down, get out. No, no, no. We want you to quit your church friends, meaning we want you not to just have a bunch of acquaintances here at the church. We want you to find deep, meaningful relationships. So quit your church friends. And so before we get into this, there's a word I want to teach some of you. And if you've been a Christian for 30 years, you've definitely heard this word. If you're new to the church, that's okay. I'm going to teach you what it means today. And even some of the Christians in this room who have been following God for a long time, man, when we unpack and understand what this word means, it's going to give you a deeper understanding and appreciation for it. So this word that I'm going to be teaching you about is a word called fellowship. Fellowship, and this is a word that you don't hear often outside of the church, and it's it, it's got it's got a huge meaning that I think is underplayed, and so it, it means a lot more than just a group of people who decided to throw a ring into Mordor. It's it's much more than that. Um, funny, funny. Those of you who actually like Lord of the Rings, I appreciate you uh, you loving my joke. Um, side note: When I was typing this in Google Docs, I typed uh, I typed. This is, fellowship is more than just a group of people who went to throw a ring in mortar. And I said, a ring. And Google Docs, like, put a little squiggle under it. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I clicked, I clicked it to see why it was wrong, and it said, the ring. And I was like, oh, man, I just got schooled in my Tolkien lore by Google Docs. Like, <laughs> it messed me up. But, but, but the reality is, this is, this is a word that's deep. And, and I don't think we have a really good appreciation for what it means. Because if I ask you what fellowship means, you might give me the dictionary definition, which is friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. And that's not what it means when we're talking about it in relation to the Bible, in relation to God. Fellowship is more than that. And some of you might, when I say, do you know what fellowship is, you might be like, well, I guess it's, it's kind of like community. I think that could be a good word. But, but I don't think community is a good word because you can be a part of a community but not be present in a community. And so there's no interaction with you in that community. And so I don't think that does it. But, but fellowship, the idea of being in fellowship with something, it, 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 it's so deep that it's tied to your very existence. So I think the best way to understand it would be 
a mother, if you describe someone as a mother, they're in fellowship with their child. What does that mean? By calling them a mother, you assume the existence of a child, right? And just like you would say someone is someone else's son, you assume the existence of a parent. Neither can exist. Like, I, I can't call someone who, who, who doesn't have children a mother, or, or I can't call someone who doesn't have parents a, a, a son, you know, even though that doesn't, that doesn't even work. Like, if you think about it that way, like, what do you mean everyone has, everyone has parents? So everyone is a son. But, but the reality is their, their interaction and their existence are, and their identity are tied to one another. And, and it's something deeper than that. And so when we talk about fellowship throughout this sermon and, 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 and in these next few minutes, we need to think of it with that mentality. Like something so deep, your very identity and existence is tied into it. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And so when we get into this idea of quit your church friends, this is where it becomes important. And so why is this idea of fellowship so important? Well, this is where, this is where we're going to read a Bible verse that uh, I think is just underappreciated at how deep the statement is. And it's in Genesis 2.18, and it says this. It says, it is not good, um, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man be alone. It is not good that it, man be alone. So it says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It is not good for man to be alone. And so this is kind of in the creation story that the Bible is telling. They're, they're telling a story about what happened in the very beginning, how, how God saw fit to make the world. And, and one of the things he says about Adam, the first man, is it's not good for him to be alone. And I think this is, this is a statement that kind of gets brushed over, but it's so important because it defines the center of who we are as humans. And one of the things that happens in this story is God says everything is good, everything is good. He constantly talks about um, nature being good, about the animals being good, about his creation being good, the stars, the sun, the moon, everything is good. The only thing he describes as not good is man being alone. And so how mind-blowing is it? And I think it's just so incredible that um, depending on, on what scholars you look at, this statement was written between 3,500 and 4,000 years ago. That 4,000 years ago, a man sat there and understood so deeply the intimacy and, and the necessity of us to be in relationship to one another that he put it in a story and said, even God is saying, it's not good for man to be alone. Like, that blows my mind when I think about it. And for us, I think that's an important thing we need to appreciate. And it goes so deep that, that, that you see it reflected in nature. And so one of the things that was happening in the 50s and the 60s, uh, uh, when I was in high school and, and a little bit into college, I was kind of like a psychology, a psychology nerd. Like, I really enjoyed psychology. And so I, would, I took a bunch of psychology classes all through high school. I took a couple in college just because it was really fascinating to me how the human brain works. And, and, and psychology in the 50s and 60s was uh, kind of obsessed to an extent with understanding the relationship between parents and children. And most psychologists back then would have probably said, and they had this idea, that parental attachment was developed because parents gave kids food. Right? Some of you who are parents of teenagers are like, that is accurate. You are right. I give them food. That's the only reason they come home. I don't know. But, 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 but they would say that even, even newborns, the only reason they were really attached to their mother was because their mother provided them with food. And, and so this was a common thought 
in psychology until a man named uh, Harry Harlow came along. And he, he, was, he was fascinated with this, this thought too because he, he would do a lot of experiments on, on monkeys and stuff like that. And one of the things he would do is he would take newborn monkeys and, and he would kind of keep them away from other monkeys and you'd see how they developed. And a lot of them didn't develop quite right when they were, de- when they were in isolation. And then he did this fascinating experiment which was just mind-blowing at the time he made two fake monkey moms for these little baby monkeys. And one of the monkey moms was made of wire, just like chicken wire, and it had a bottle that had food in it. The other monkey mom was, uh, was covered in a soft, like almost fur-like material that would feel like the, the, the fur of, of an adult female monkey. And, and psychologists up until this point thought, of course, the baby monkey is going to love the one with the milk more than anything because it's providing them food. But what they found was these monkeys were obsessed with the mother covered in the soft fur. They, wouldn't, they would not sit by the one who had the milk. And this was an eye-opening experience because all of a sudden it, it highlighted that there's more to existence and there's more to relationship than merely someone providing something for you. There ha- there's a comfort, there's a need, there's a desire for intimacy that goes beyond just getting food. And, and so this kind of blew the psychology world wide open because, it became, because then they started to understand, man, children feel the same way about their parents. There's a deeper attachment to a mother than just the fact that they provide them with food. And so I think it's amazing that 4,000 years ago, we began to realize, man, it's not good for man to be alone. And just 70 years ago, we finally started to understand a little bit more that, hey, this is an accurate statement. And so it's deeply rooted in who we are, and it affects children. And then another thing, another way I think about it is we had a, we had a girl who... Um, who was in our church. I grew up in a different church, and when I was there, there was a girl, and her name was Abby, and she was adopted from China. And I used to hear stories about when they first got her and when they first brought her back to the United States, something that would happen is every time you would touch her or pick her up, she would go stiff as a board. And so she's a little baby who's like seven months old who would just stiffen up when people held her because she'd spent the whole beginning of her life not being cared for by anyone. And she had to learn what it meant to be in relationship to other people. And many of us find ourselves in that position today. We are like the idea of emotional connection and relationship causes us internally to stiffen up. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to manage it. And, and God is calling us to step into a deeper relationship with one another so that we can be healthier, better people in the long run. And so, um, and so that's kind of the idea behind what we're going to be talking about is, man, like there is this problem. Like it's not good for man to be alone, but we continue to isolate ourselves. One of the ways I think about it is we have a tremendous need to connect but not be connected. And so how many of you... And I, I promise you, this isn't a sting, so you can raise your hands and, and, and nothing's going to happen. How many of you have ever texted or used a phone while driving, even though you know you shouldn't? All right, everybody, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I'll lead you. You've texted. Listen, listen, um, uh, listen, we risk getting pulled over and monetary consequences 
just because we cannot bear to wait the two minutes it takes to get where we're going. Like, it blows my, like, how did people survive back when you didn't have a cell phone in your pocket all the time? Like, man, you had to get in a car and, if, and you didn't know if people were trying to get in touch with you. How mind-blowing is that fact? But, but the reality is we all experience this tremendous internal need to be, to be connected but not necessarily to connect. And, and so you might, like, you might be in the mentality of I cannot wait to get home to send this text message but to get in your car and drive the 10 minutes to a coffee shop to actually meet with someone, oh man, that's too much work. I can't deal with that. Like, we, you know, we, we, we have this weird thing in our brains that, that's partially, partially from smartphones, partially from I don't know what, culture changing, this reality that we have to constantly be connected, but, but we, we have a hard time connecting one-on-one. -on -one. There's some studies that I've been reading that show that teenagers are having a harder heart and harder time connecting face to face. They tend to, um, and there's even studies that say, uh, I think it's something like 50 or 60%, I, I'm probably misquoting, of teenagers would say some of their closest friends um, they've met via an online platform, whether it be video games or whether it be uh, Snapchat or Instagram. They, they're meeting people who, who are close to them. Um, one of the teenagers in, in, our, in our youth group who just graduated, she always tells me like, hey, I'm best, friend with all, best friends with all your siblings because they Snapchat all the time. And she started Snapchatting them before they ever met in person. Like the reality is we, we are constantly trying to connect through new digital platforms, but, but we won't allow ourselves to connect, um, to connect on a deeper level. And, and just to clarify, I think it gets even, even deeper um, it says in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, this is God's idea of what fellowship means. And so in Philippians, it says, uh, he, uh, who, speaking of Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness. All believe, uh, made in human likeness. So this is such an important statement because even God is saying there's something like God could have continued. So if we look at the Bible, the first two thirds are kind of God just writing in some form to humankind. He's just speaking to them through, through the medium of written language. He's saying, this is, this is what I'm saying to you. This is who I am. He's unveiling himself. He's talking about himself. But even he is saying as great as written language is, as great as connecting from a distance is, there's something extra powerful about interacting on an individual basis. There's something extra powerful about being together one-on-one. -on -one. And so the final study I'm going to quote to you will be the idea of, of solitary confinement in, in jail. And so this is, this is something that's fascinating. So solitary confinement is when you're removed from the general population and kept by yourself in a room from anywhere from 22 to 24 hours a day. And here are some of the things that happen to people who are in solitary confinement for extended periods of time. They have visual and auditory hallucinations, hypersensitivity to noise and touch, insomnia and paranoia, uncomfortable feelings of rage and fear, distortions of time and perception, increased risk of suicide, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The reality is, and, and I think I've been hammering on it because it's so important, when man is alone, Bad things happen to our soul and our spirit. We begin to break. And luckily, 
God has given us an avenue to begin to work through that. And the avenue that we're talking about is fellowship within your church. And this can be a hard thing. And so if we take it from the macro level where we talk about all these studies, all these things, like, yeah, this is bad, and start to move it slowly into the personal, man, I'm going to ask you to examine yourself today as to why you have a hard time connecting with people. I'm going to list three reasons that might be at the core of what's going on with you. The, the first one is personalities. And so Chris Sonsin in the book Quit Church, he, he talks about maybe it's your personality. And so he gives us four primary uh, personality traits or personality um, characteristics that kind of generally lump us all into one of these categories. And so the, these might help you. So this will give you a gauge for maybe evaluating where you're at. They all sound like some sort of horrible disease. So don't feel bad when I read them if you're like, oh, man, I don't want to be that one. I sound like uh, I'm phlegm. Like the first one is phlegmatic, all right? You're, you're, not, you're not the noise someone makes in your throat, but phlegmatic is generally quiet, doesn't like to be the center of attention, seeks and desires peace, easy to get along with, but very few close friends. So that might be you. You might be phlegmatic where you're just, you're kind of one of those quieter people, and that, that's totally fine. One of them might be melancholic. Um, this doesn't mean you're a sad person. Uh, generally, they're more serious. Uh, they're more analytical and can sometimes come across as negative. Tends to be reserved and suspicious in forming relationships. And so some of you might, 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 you might resonate with that. You're like, I have me and that is it. And you don't really like to let people in. Um, the next one is sanguine, which uh, is, that sounds like an alcoholic beverage. I'm going to be real. Sanguine. Um, the life of the party very social, enjoys being around people, and builds relationships quickly. Um, so that might be you. And, if, if, and the great thing about sanguine is they know if they're a sanguine because um, you can't get them to stop talking. Um, <laughs> the next one is choleric, which sounds like cholera, but is not choleric. <laughs> um, uh, is a natural leader, loves to be in charge, sees the, um, sees the need to network, but doesn't see the need for genuine relationships. So in that list, I think there was one personality that does fellowship well. Out of all four, there's one, and it's sanguine. All the rest, man, we, we, you know, we experience some level of difficulty. And, and I would list myself, I'm definitely not a sanguine. Um, so all the rest of us, man, we experience difficulty when it comes to sometimes developing relationships. And so this is what I want to encourage you and counter you with today. Man, don't use your personality as an excuse to refuse what God has called you to do. Right? There, there are things God is going to call you to do that are going to push you outside of your comfort zone. And man, it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But let's trust that he has your best interest in heart. All right, so, that, so that's the first one. So that might be your problem. And so, man, together today, we're going to make a commitment to each other not to allow our personalities to be an excuse. So all you sanguines, it's your responsibility to make us get out of our comfort zone. All of you, um, all of you melancholics, it's your job to remind us that it can't be a party 24-7. All you phlegmatics, you got to remind us that, hey, we need, as great as it is to have a wide circle, man, you've got to have a close few at the same time. And all of you cholerics, man... It's time that you go from beyond networking 
to genuine relationship. All right? So, so we're going to make, so let's, let's move beyond our personalities and do what God has called us to do. The next thing that we have that can kind of uh, be, and this is a huge hindrance, and this is just as hard, is a painful past. A painful past that prevents us from connecting with what, with what, with, um, what God wants us to. And, and so this could be a painful past that was brought on by an ex-spouse, by a broken relationship, by a rough relationship with your parents, friends who have betrayed you, or even maybe a church that has hurt you in the past. So for those of you, I don't know what your church background is, if that's the reason you haven't plugged into church again, man, let me take in this moment a second to apologize for the way the church treated you that pushed you to where you are. You didn't deserve that. You deserve better than that. But God has more for you if you would open up again and be a part of what he's calling you into. Man, I, I don't know where you're at, but you might have a painful past that's preventing you from having genuine relationship with those around you. And let me promise you that God promises that your future can be brighter than what you came from. The way the Bible describes it, it says when uh, the old is gone, the new has come. It's time to let go. And, and the phrase that I walked out of here thinking, or I, I, I kind of came up with, or I, I read that really helped me understand is you cannot let the pain of your past rob you of the blessings of your future. Man, there's something more in front of you, and there's a painful past you have to heal from. And I understand. But like I said, it's time for us to move beyond our personality, move beyond our past pains into what God has for us, because the future before us is brighter than what's behind, all right? So those are two of the big ones. And then the third problem that we tend to have, and this is a hard one for us today, is, man, I am too busy. I'm too busy. And I get it. I am so busy all the time, I feel insane. I think uh, probably last week... Um, my wife and I saw each other for 10 minutes in passing just with the way our schedules moved together. And I was like, that's supposed to be the closest relationship in my life, and I barely got to see her. Um, the closest we got this week was we worked on our garden for like nine hours yesterday so we can get our security deposit back. Amen? Um, you know, like that's, that's the closest we had to like a date night this past week. And so this is, this is, this is going to be something you fight all the time. And this partially comes from our culture that has a connection problem. Like we're go, 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 and we can't take a break. But today I want to challenge you when it comes to church and when it comes to God, man, it's time for you to start saying no to some good things so that you can say yes to the best things, all right? God has something in store for you, and it's going to require you to give up things that are good because you need to pursue not what is good but what is best. And we need to follow him. And so this is one of the reasons I love being a part of Restoration Church in that um, Nate and I, when I first came on staff, we kind of talked about it. And one of the things that happened to me growing up in church is our church had like calendar overload. On Sunday, you went to service. On uh, Monday, there was, mom, there was mops and mom's group. On Tuesday, there was, uh, there was this small group. On Wednesday, there was youth group. On Thursday, there was, uh, there was Royal Rangers and Mission Nets, which was like Boy Scouts. On Saturday, there's the men's breakfast. And, and the reality was, man, the church, we were so busy b doing church stuff that we stopped being a family as the church. And we started separating. And we'd all, we wouldn't see each other because we were all going to all these different events. And, and we didn't. We didn't really connect. And so one of the things I love about Restoration Church is we take your busy schedule in mind when we plan out 
um, what your week looks like when it comes to being involved. So for us, someone who's health, in a healthy way attending and participating in Restoration Church will probably do this. They can come to a Sunday morning service, and they'll, pro- and they'll be serving. They'll come to uh, a Tuesday or a Thursday night youth group if they have a teenager, and they'll go to a circle once a week. Like, that's a healthy that's a healthy person attending Restoration Church. And then, of course, we have events in there like worship nights, which we try and do once a quarter and things like that so that we can try and keep you healthy as you're just volunteering. And so we try to keep you in mind because we, want to, we, we know you're busy. Like, you're not going to get less busy in these next few weeks. But the reality is, man, you got to make some choices in your life about what you're going to say no to so you can pursue what God has for you. All right, so, so that's the last thing, and, and those are all the problems that we have as, as we begin to uh, navigate what does it mean to be in fellowship with one another, but finally, man, I just want to just not leave you with a bunch of problems, because I feel like, you know, for the past 20 minutes or whatever, I've just been throwing a bunch of problems at you, like this is a problem, this is a problem, I want to give you the solution and what God calls us to be as a church, so that as we walk in it, as we begin to walk it out, man, we know what we're aiming for. So God gave us a solution to this problem. He gave us a solution to fellowship. And it's highlighted beautifully in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, 42 through 46. And it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, that's a ter- that's, that, like for me, that's like a scary thing to read. Like, each day they went to church and worshiped together, each day they did this, each day, like... Uh, you know, and like I said, we're not calling you to necessarily do that each day. But the reality is, man, when we're in relationship with one another, miracles begin to happen. Awe comes over us. Lives are changed. And when we step into fellowship with one another, three things happen that every single one of us needs. The first is spiritual growth. We grow spiritually in relationship with one another and with God. And this is something that blows my mind because we've had people, as they're leaving the church, they'll, they'll tell us, you know, the reason I'm leaving is I just didn't feel like I was growing enough during the Sunday morning messages. Listen, if you think me or Pastor Nate can preach a good enough message in 30 minutes on Sunday morning to grow you for the entire week ahead of you, you have your priorities all out of whack. Like, the reality is, man, I cannot, like, I cannot preach a good enough message that's going to change your life for this entire week, that's going to fill you up for, for the next, you know, however many hours, man. Like, if you're lucky, you're going to make it out of the parking lot before you yell at somebody for cutting you off in traffic. Like, the, like that's the thing. Like, I can't preach in a way that's going to change your life. And, and that's why, man, fellowship with one another becomes so important because it's in that context that more spiritual growth happens than when you're sitting here on a Sunday morning. All right, so spiritual growth happens. The second is accountability. 
And this is a word nobody likes to hear, nobody likes to use, nobody likes to be a part of. It's accountability. Man, uh, what is, I think it says in Proverbs, um, the, the wounds of a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. What does that mean? Man, your friends are going to keep you in line when no one else will. Like, for me, I think about it when I read that verse. I think of my mother because, man, like, there was, there was the moments where, you know, she just, she just looked at you. And, like, if, words, if looks could kill, it was like, oh, man. I'm wounded internally. Like, my mom's looking at me with those disappointed eyes. Like, um, you know, the reality is, man, when you have friends and people around you who don't let you get away with the junk you know you tend to do, you grow as a person. And we provide that for each other when we're in fellowship with one another. And then the last one, and I think this is, this is really important, and this is a source of strength during difficult times a source of strength during difficult times. How many of us have gone through something and felt like we were all alone? That no one was there when we needed them. When we walk in fellowship with one another, man, we don't have to have that fear anymore. Because even when we believe it to be true, the actions of those around us prove it false. And as the band comes up and we conclude, I just want to encourage you, man, we had an awesome, we, we have an awesome church that, that really wants us to walk in a healthy fellowship with one another. And I think it fits perfectly that we're about to enter into um, uh, the, next, uh, the next semester of circles. Because that's how we as a church have said, when we walk together in fellowship with one another, we do it through circles, which is our small group ministry. And we're about to have our circle fair in the next few weeks. We're about to take a step towards, um, towards the next semester. And, and you're going to learn a lot of stuff in your circles. But, but my heart isn't that you just learn a bunch of things about the Bible in your circle. My heart is you find friends who take care of you, grow you spiritually, hold you accountable, and, man, are there for you in the midst of tragedy. And we as a church, we can't, we, we, we have to take steps to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in relationship to those around me. I'm going to quit my church friends. I'm not going to walk in the lobby, not say hi to everybody. But man, every time I walk into the lobby, I'm so excited because it's, who do I get to see this week that I've missed? Who do I get to spend more time with? And so as we take these steps as, these church, as a church, I want you to walk away with one challenge on your heart this week. And I want that challenge to be take a relationship deeper this week. What does that mean? It means you're going to ask an acquaintance out for coffee. It means you're going to take a moment and spend it with a family member. For me, I think probably my relationship is going to be, hey, I better take my wife on a date this week because otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. But to this week, we're going to take a relationship deeper somehow, some way, somewhere with someone because God hasn't called us to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. A statement that's echoed and, and resonated in the hearts of people for 4,000 years Today, we're going to start to address that problem. 
We're going to start to walk and say, you know what, I'm going to take someone deeper. Man, I'm going to help someone that, that, that I know is close to me that needs help. I'm going to, I'm going to worry about my family. I'm going to worry about my friends. Somehow take a relationship deeper and then prepare for when circle signups start. Because, man, you need to be in fellowship. You'll drift away. You'll become an attender. You'll leave the church. And I don't want that for you. Because what God has here and what God has for you is so much more than you can ever imagine. And I want to see you walk in that. And it's going to be awkward. You're going to go to someone's house maybe you've never met before. You're going to meet a bunch of people you don't know. And it's going to be scary for those of you who don't like to have wide circles. It's going to be scary because some of you who only like to network, you're going to have to talk about hard topics. It's going to be hard for some of you because you're going to have to walk in, in, and overcome suspicion. And you're going, to have to, you're going to have to do that. Some of you, you're going to have to stop talking for five minutes. It's going to be really, really hard. But God has something for you if you walk in fellowship with those around you. So this week, can we make a commitment to take a relationship deeper and to prepare to walk in fellowship with one another? Bow your heads with me. God, we just praise you. We lift you up. And, and God, I just want to take a minute for anyone who, who's not sure about this God thing to, to just say, you know what? I want to be a part of that. I, I, want, like, I want people in my life who care about me, who worry about me, who, who take care of me. God, I just pray for every single person in here who's exploring that possibility, that, that, become, that you become a reality to them today. God, I pray for everyone in this church who is making a commitment to take a relationship deeper this week. God, be there and bless them. Some of them are going to be overcoming pain from the past. Some of them are going to be overcoming personality. Some of them are going to become overcoming busyness. And it's going to be difficult. But we know that when we trust in you, we step into something better than we could ever imagine. God, I pray for everyone in here this week that they don't just attend church, but they walk in fellowship with one another. So close that, man, our identities are tied to who we know and to who you are. God, we lift you up we praise you. In your name we say, amen.